Good morning and welcome, everybody. Uh, welcome to Washira Community Church. My name's Kevin. Hopefully all of you know me by now. If you're new here, welcome. Glad to see you for the first time. Um, our mission is Washira Community Church is a gathered group of Christians who exist to give creative and meaningful worship to God and to discover and develop disciples of Jesus Christ. We strive to love God and others fervently. Uh, announcements. Uh, make sure you register your children and grandchildren for VBS. Uh, Pavilion Praise is coming up here on July 30th. And a reminder, after the service today, we will hold the vote for the Lobby Rehab Project. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit off here for a second. Um, if you guys aren't involved in a ministry here within the church, I would uh, recommend you do so. Um, I've really enjoyed it. I'm part of the security group. Um, I help out with various other things too. But it's, uh, it can be a lot of fun, uh, especially with your, within the group, uh, the ministry folks that you're with doing stuff. So I just, uh, just wanted to say that to everybody. So next thing we're going to do a scripture reading. Everybody wants to read along here. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world? Yet forfeit their soul. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man ashamed of them who comes to the Father's glory with the holy angels. All right, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I just uh, thank you for everybody that's here today. Uh, some of us come, we got some heavy things on our hearts. I just ask that you help us with that. I ask that you help unite all of us here, Lord. Um, just help us to glorify you and worship you, open hearts and open minds today. Uh, just bring us all together, Lord. Uh, keep us safe as we travel home. In your name I pray, amen. Yeah, you may be seated. Uh, Reverend Aiden made sure to come up and shake my hand. Yeah, he did. Um, we got a background going there. Thanks. Um, Mallory, come on up. Mallory's going to tell us about Vacation Bible School. Did you know that Mallory is now a radio personality? Yeah. Good morning. I'm back again to talk about Vacation Bible School. And this time will probably be the last time because it is one week away. Who's excited? We have our snazzy background. Um, our online registration will close at noon on Friday, July 28th, so this Friday. Um, while registration is helpful for us to know who's coming, walk-ins are absolutely welcome. Um, they you may just have to wait in line a little bit to get registered. Um, 
but continue to make those personal invites. We still have a lot of these postcards in the lobby. Grab one on your way out and just invite some kids you know to come to Vacation Bible School. We are so excited. Um, I think we have 56 kids registered. So 56 kids we're going to be able to share the gospel to this week. Please continue to pray for all those kids and pray for our volunteers. And thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's pray specifically right now for Vacation Bible School. So Heavenly Father, we do. We have a lot of planning has gone into this. And uh, we have those 56, 57 kids that are registered, but we know that there are others, Lord, that it's your desire for them to be here. So we do pray for walk-ins that will come through the doors on Monday morning. Um, continue to work through all the avenues that we have tried to publicize this event um, and uh, just bring it to people's attention to bring their children here to hear about Jesus. So your hand on Vacation Bible School in my precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mallory. Yeah. How many have heard Mallory on the radio? Did it? Oh, there's a couple hands. Yeah. Somebody heard, somebody heard from Plover. And they brought down cupcakes for Vacation Bible School. They don't even go here. They just heard that Vacation Bible School was happening. They make cupcakes and they drove all the way down here to hand off huff cupcakes. Then we had to tell her it's a week away. So, anyways. Huh? Yeah. Oh, I'm Pastor Adam. I'm really glad you're here this morning. And it's our time to worship the Lord. And part of our worship is to worship in giving. And uh, it's, an, a, it's a privilege to be able to take what God has given to us and follow his example in the scripture to, to give toward ministry. And so we have that opportunity this morning. We also pray during this time for different missionaries that we have. And this Sunday, our dedicated missionary are those missionaries that are in restricted areas. Um, so we can't say their name or we don't say where they're at. Um, but they are there serving and we want to cover them in prayer uh, this morning. So would you ushers come forward and would we bow our heads in prayer? So, Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. Thank you, Lord, for what you have provided. And may we never take it for granted. And help us, Lord Jesus, to use the, these combined resources, Lord, of your, of your body of Christ here um, to, to use for your glory. We see it, Lord, in Vacation Bible School. We see it in these missionaries that we support all over the world. And we think specifically this morning of those that are in areas where it is best that we that we just we cover them in prayer. We we are thankful for their dedication, their sacrifice um, to go into areas that might not be ideal, um, but their heart has been pulled by you to go there. And so, Lord, your hand upon them as they minister to the people in those areas. Again, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this morning. In thy precious name, amen. That is a beautiful dog, isn't it? Yeah. Well, this morning we are in uh, the Gospel of Mark. We're in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38. 
Our focus this month has been humble service and generous lifestyle. We're looking at how Jesus is making disciples, how he's helping them to be disciples of him. Of him. And so this month is really focused, in, and he needs to really spend a lot of time on this, because here he finds his disciples at times saying, arguing like, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? <laughs> And he has to stop there thinking along those lines and say, well, if you want to know who the greatest is in God's kingdom, it's the very least kind of thing. And so he's helping them to, to understand that being a disciple of Christ is very countercultural uh, for their time and also for our time. I, you know, I was thinking through this and I was thinking the world shouts pride, pride, pride. But Jesus says humility, humility, humility. Or the world might say, me, 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 me. And, and God says, love others, love others, love others. So many times what happens is there, it's, it's just the opposite that that's happening. I've titled this Terms and Conditions, and we'll, it's an illustration I want to use this morning. And us pastors, sometimes we, we share illustrations. And I, the first time I heard this illustration was from Alistair Begg. And uh, so we'll use that illustration this morning in this sermon. But I want to give you the context of the passage of Scripture just prior to what we read in verses 34 through 38. Jesus, in context, he asks his disciples a couple questions. The first question is, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And they respond back and say, well, some say Elijah, some say uh, John the Baptist, some say one of the prophets kind of thing. And then once he gets that answer, then Jesus turns around and then he asks him the ultimate question. He says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And, 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 and I put up there, the ultimate question is ask of whom, of whom? Who is he asking this question to? And then you start to list down here, He's asking this of the ones that he has prayed for uh, through the night sometimes up on the mountain. He's, he's asking this of the ones that he named when he came down the mountain and said, you will be my disciples. He's asking this of the ones who have lived with him for three, three and a half years. They've been by his side uh, with him all the way through. Um, he's asking this of the one that they have, he has specifically taught them. He's pulled them aside. He sat them down. He says, truly, I say to you, I, I tell you the truth. He in, he's instructing them. These are also the ones where they have had a front row seat to his miracles. They have been right there when he has performed these, these acts of God because he is God in front of them. They are also the ones that he sent out two by two into the countryside to, to, to spread the gospel. They are also the ones that he is invited in on to come alongside of him while he walked on this earth. That's the group that he asked this question to, whom do you, who do you say that I am? And that's when we get the great news. The great news in verse 29 is when Peter speaks up and he says, you are the Christ. Uh, other, other versions will say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But Mark just says, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. And we know uh, by studying that and reading that, that that came from God. Peter said it, but it came from God kind of thing. But when he says, you are the Christ, here's what he's saying. He's saying, you are the Messiah. You are the sent one. 
from God. You are the anointed one of God. You are the redeemer. You are the savior of the world. You are the alpha and the omega. You are it. That's what he was saying. You are it. There is none other. You are the Christ. So after he gets done giving the great news, then we go into some bad news. In bad news, in verse 31, when it says, he, Jesus, then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. That's, those are hard words there. Must be killed. So he gives them the bad news that, this, that, that he is going to suffer, he's going to be rejected, and then he's going to be killed. And then there's a bit of good news that's tagged right onto the end of that when it says, and after three days, rise again. After three days, rise again. He would rise from the grave. Now, I put down verse 32. The right answer needs to be followed fully. If we go into verse 32, it says, he spoke plainly about this. And we say, stop right there. He didn't speak in parables here. He wasn't speaking in parables. He wasn't speaking in code. He was, he was speaking plainly to his disciples. His disciples would have been able to understand exactly what he was saying. It was not clouded from them. They would have had full understanding. He spoke plainly to them about this. And then it says, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, that's why I mean by the right answer needs to be followed fully. Because just previous to that, Peter said, you are the Christ. You are it. And so the it just said, well, this is what's going to happen. And then Peter goes, uh-uh. Uh-uh. No, no, sorry. That's not going to happen. Do you see the irony? And there are times that we do the same thing. That we say the primary creed of the Christian is Jesus is Lord. You can whittle all those creeds that we have down, and you get down to the primal one is that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. But I, I fear that there are times when, when we have said, Jesus is Lord. <laughs> and then he presents his word to us in a way, and we go, uh-uh. <laughs> like we're Christian up to a point. Well, I'm Christian up to a point, but I, I'm, not that kind of, I'm not that kind of Christian. Not one of those, you know, freaky Christians, no. Well, I'm not one of those. I think in this passage of Scripture, Jesus speaks about that, about being a Christian up to a point. So here's the illustration, terms and conditions. So you bought a phone, you bought a compute, new computer, you put an app on your phone or something like that, and you're all excited about it. And, and you get to that part on the screen when it says, you must accept the terms and conditions. Okay? And there's that little box that you have to check. Are you with me? Yeah. And you cannot go any farther. You cannot get what you want until you do what? Click that little box. Yeah. Now, there's one more thing that you can do. There is usually a little link there that you can click, and you can open up the terms and conditions. You can open them up to like 50 pages of fine print, you know, that you can read down through all the terms and conditions that are there. 
But most people do not read the terms and conditions. Most people just what? Click the box. I want to point out here. Okay, so when we do that, we are trusting something that is written that we have never read by people that we have never met. We're putting blind faith in something, in something that we have never read, and, and, and we don't even know who wrote it, and what do we do? We click the box. We click the box. Now, you got your computer, you got the phone going and everything, and the app is happening, and you're so excited about it. After a little while, what's going to pop up on your screen? It's going to say, we have updated our terms and conditions. We have revised them. And if you want to get to the next thing you want to do, guess what you got to do? You got to click the box. Now, you can click that little link again and open up the terms and conditions, uh, but they won't highlight what they've changed. They don't do that. No. So you have no idea, especially if you didn't read it the first time. You are really lost now. But we will click that box. The world system, there's a lot of fine print. It's always being updated and revised. Always being updated and revised. In God's system, I'll show you this morning, there is no fine print. He spoke plainly. There's no fine print. It's never updated and it's never revised. And so in this passage of Scripture, 34 through 38, he gives the terms and conditions. So let's set this up here. In verse 34, it says, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. And just stop right there and notice he calls the crowd. So what he's going to say next is not just for his disciples. He's done that at times. He pulls them in by themselves and say, this is for you. But now he's pulling in the whole crowd. He wants the whole crowd to hear what he is going to say next, this universal plea, when he says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would say they're a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, here comes the conditions. There's three conditions. He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. One, two, three. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Those are the conditions. Now, in verses 35 through the end, 38, are the terms. And so with number one, deny himself, if you look at verse 35, you see the, the terms. For whoever wants to save his life. So that's someone who is not denying themselves. That's someone who's trying to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me, so they have, it, you've exchanged your life for God's life. You're, you're living your life now for him and for, the gospel, and for the gospel. The gospel is the good news. The gospel is that Jesus has come. The king has come. We'll save it. We'll save it. So in the first scenario, deny himself. What this person is trying to do, if they don't deny themselves, they're trying effort, they're taking the effort to try to save themselves rather than God save them. Okay, they go to the second one. Take up his cross. Take up his cross. If you go to verse 36, here are the terms. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world 
yet forfeit his soul? That's one question. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? So what is he trying to do? He's trying to, he's trying to find salvation in something in the world. And then it goes on to the second question, or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? So the first one, he's all out effort to save himself. The second one is he's trying to find salvation in some other way than taking up the cross. He's trying to find some salvation in some other way than the salvation that has been provided by Jesus through the cross, on the cross. Then you get to the third one. We're going to go back over these again in a little more detail, but follow me. He says, follow me. And then that's the condition. The terms are in verse 38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, that's really important phrase there. If anyone's ashamed of me, Jesus, and my words, what I have said, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. So, so here's a person who is trying to save themselves. Here's a person who's trying to find salvation in some other way than the cross, something in the world that's going to save them. And here is someone who is ashamed of Jesus and his words. They're disregarding Jesus and his words and his words. Now, so let's go back through these one more time. Deny yourself. Some versions of the Bible will say disown yourself. Say disown yourself. But you deny your very self. And what you're doing is you're going from my life to his life. When you deny yourself, we're not talking about denying ourselves of chocolate. Okay? We're not talking about that. We're talking about that you, den- that you realize that it's not about me anymore. It's all about him. My life is, has been denied because my life is all about his life. It's not my words, it's his words. It's not my way, it's his way. It's not my will, it's his will. It is all about him. That's what it means to deny myself. You go from my life to his life. Now, I could have picked... Um, a lot of different songs, but I picked this one, this one out. Um, I could have picked out Frank Sinatra, I did it my way, you know, kind of thing. But I picked out Billy Joel. He wrote this song in 1978 called My Life, My Life. And I know somebody is going like, oh, man, don't, are you going to rag a little bit on Billy Joel? I mean, I, he had a lot of hair, which I'm envious of, kind of thing. He's the piano man. Yeah, you don't need to worry for me because I'm all right. Dun, 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 dun. I don't want you to tell me it's time to come home. Bum, 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 dun. I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. Dum, bum, bum, dun. Go ahead with your own life. Leave me alone. No, don't you. I am not going to leave you with Billy Joel, just so you know. No way, shape, or form. I leave you with Billy Joel. But, boy, that's not deny yourself. That's not deny yourself. That's, that's, that's I'm in charge. And actually, you don't tell me anything. You, nobody tells me what to do. Nobody. I'm in charge. That is so much of the world right there. 
And Jesus says, wait, if you're going to come after me, you got to deny yourself, your very self. Next one, take up his cross. Now, when, when that phrase is said in this context, um, they are not thinking of a cross necklace. They're not thinking of a decorative cross on the wall in, in a church. When they say, take up his cross, when they say cross, they are immediately thinking crucifixion. Because that's the only cross they had at that time was crucifixion, that people hung on crosses, and that many Jews and many Christians, 30,000 of them, hung on crosses. So when he says, take up his cross, he's not talking, he's talking about suffering. He's talking about, and for the Christian, we start to turn and say, and we start to think of salvation, because when we look at the cross, we say salvation. We see that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We take up this salvation that God has provided for us. So you go from my life to his life. You go from my salvation to his salvation. You go from what is temporal to what is eternal. Because if you go back to verse uh, 36 again, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world? That's temporal. The world ends. Yet forfeit his soul. That's eternal. And then that second question or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Nothing. Nothing. Because God is the only one that can save the soul. He's the only one. Now, um, we always we keep going back to 1 Peter because we studied 1 Peter and 1 and 2 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14 says this. He says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ. Okay, so... You're, you're insulted, you're persecuted specifically because you are a Christian, because you are following after him. He, the next thing he says is, you are blessed. And you go, what? What? That must be some of Jesus' new math again. How does that work? Because, how, how come you're blessed? Next phrase, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. The spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So if you are insulted, if you are persecuted because you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are blessed because you are in the palm of God's hand. You're, you know, this is an expression, but you're in the palm of his hand at that moment in time. It's a great Trinity verse. If you're being persecuted because of Christ, the second in the Trinity, you have the spirit of glory, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Father is with you is with you at that moment in time. I've had people ask me this question. I don't know if I'd be able to do that. If I would be, I, I don't know if I had, you know, it's the proverbial gun to the head kind of thing and ask you if you're a Christian kind of thing. That's, but I don't know if I'd be able to do that. And I always respond back the same way every single time. I say, if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, you would. You would be able to because he would take over. He would take over your words. He would take over your actions. He would take over your attitudes. And he would give you everything that you need if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ. They, they, they put the Christians in the arena to be devoured by the lions. And many of them, what would they do? They would kneel down and pray. They would kneel down and pray. Their life was in God's hands. 
and God had provi- has provided for you, no matter what they can do to the physical body, He has provided a heavenly home for you. So yeah, you'd be able to do it. That's what I tell everybody when they ask me that question. But we take up the cross, and then the third one, follow me. Follow me, he says. That's the third condition. Join him who is from the beginning. Imitate, imitate Christ. And it's interesting in verse 38, when does this following begin? And if we read 38 again, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this, in this adulterous and sinful generation. So when does the following start? Starts right now, in this, in this time that you are alive. The Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with holy angels. We, we go from my life to his life. We go from my salvation to his salvation. We go from leading to following. And the response that we give now in this, in this simple and adulterous generation, has a then result. Has a then result. And um, this is interesting that this, I think this is the first time that Mark makes mention of the second coming of Christ when he comes. Jesus is speaking, so he's, he's there first person, first time he's come. But now he says, when he comes. When this one comes in, in his Father's glory. So Mark, this is the first time I think that Mark says, there is a second coming of Christ. Now let me show you something about following him, imitating him. So the first coming of Christ is signified by suffering. Jesus dies on a cross. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. The first coming of Christ, is it, it, he suffers. But the second coming of Christ, he comes on a white horse. He comes triumphantly. He comes Daniel 7 and, and Revelation, many passages in Revelation. He comes triumphantly, okay? So, okay, let's see if we can mimic it. See, as followers of Jesus Christ, in this time, in this sinful generation we are in right now, we are going to what? We're going to suffer. There are times that we're going to be persecuted. There are suffering times, things that we are walking through. Why? Because we live in a world of sin. It's just latent with sin. And so there, this is going to be a time of suffering. But can we mimic him when he comes again? That we will rejoice that our triumphal Savior has come. And we will rejoice with him because he's here. Or will we do the opposite? Here's the opposite. That while we're here in this simple generation, we are triumphant. And we make this world the way we want it to be. And we're going to do it my way and my life and everything. And I'm going to follow whatever I want to do. I'm a Christian, but up to a point kind of thing. But then when he comes again in triumph, so we've triumphed already on this earth. When he comes in triumph, we suffer. I I never knew you, he said. I never knew you. I know that was kind of (laughs) heavy. But I I am fearful that there are times that we we have made our lives more about ourselves than about him. So back to Billy Joel. I'm not going to leave you with Billy Joel, but 
my life. Here, here's another verse. They will tell you you can't sleep alone in a strange place. Okay, so they must, I'm, I'm not sure who they are, but they must have some rules or they must have some, some guidelines. And, and they're telling him, they're telling whoever that, you know, there's certain places that you're supposed to, uh, to be, but not in a strange place. Then they'll tell you you can't sleep with someone else. Okay, now he's getting a little personal there. But they, but they are saying, wait a minute, there's a proper way, there's, a, there's some guidelines, there's something. And, and, and he's, he's bucking against this. Oh, but sooner or later you'll sleep in your own space. Last line, either way it's okay. You wake up with yourself. See, what happens in the world system, this is where the world system goes. You become God. I make up the rules. I sleep wherever I want to sleep. I sleep with whoever I want to sleep with. And the, and the sad thing is, either way it's okay, you wake up with yourself. That's what happens. You wake up with yourself. For the Christian, you don't wake up with yourself. You wake up in the arms of Jesus. You wake up in the hands of a loving God who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sin. See, I hope you're getting it, that the world system and God's system are two different things. You cannot mesh them together. You cannot blend them in any way, shape, or form. But that's where the world system goes, is you become God. Now, I, I told you, I'm not going to leave you with Billy Joel. That would be... Ray F. Miller wrote, um, I'd Rather Have Jesus. It was first a poem, and he wrote it in 1992, or 1922, and then later on it was put to music. Um, probably most of you would remember George Beverly Shea would be the one that really made this song popular. But just look at the difference. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. Yes, I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hand. Here's the second verse. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide applause, worldly applause. I'd rather be faithful to His dear cause. It's not my cause. His dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to His holy name. Not my name, to his holy name. The refrain, then to be the king of a vast domain. Here's the most important line. And be held in sin's dread sway. You got to stop there and you got to ask people, are you held in sin's dread sway? Are you held in sin's dread sway? Because I want to tell you about one who takes it away, who died on a cross so that you would not be in sin's dread sway anymore. His name is Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. See, in the world system, it leads to you becoming God. In God's system, we embrace Him. We embrace Him. We deny ourselves. We embrace Him. We take up Him. We take up Him because we have been saved. 
by what he did on the cross. We take up that salvation and we live it out every day. And we follow him. We follow him. So let me finish it this way. Um, Going back to his words, if anyone would come after me, here are the terms and conditions. No fine print. No revisions. No updates. This is what it means to follow after Jesus Christ. I am I'm fearful that there are many times that uh, over time, over time, over church history, that we have not laid out the terms and conditions that Jesus gave. To say, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And you say, man, that's awful heavy. Yep, it is. The only way that that can really happen is God has to change your heart. He has to change your heart. And so if you're here this morning and your heart is being tugged by God, it's Him that's doing that. And your response is to turn to Him. Ask for repentance. Turn to Him in faith and that He is the Christ. That I really mean it, that Jesus is Lord. And I'm, I, I'm going to strive not to just say it in word and then go, uh-uh. But no, no, his, his words mean that to me. So, which song have you been singing lately? Have you been singing my life? Or I'd rather have Jesus. When you look at your life and look at how it's been going, has is, is it been more focused on me or more focused on him? I think our worship team, I'm not sure where they went. There's Aaron. Come on up, Aaron. We can close out in song. We will probably get a YouTube strike when that goes up because I sang Billy Joel's song and might the sermon might not be there very long, kind of thing. But I pray this morning as we sing this final song that you'll just think through the words that he has said. And think about the conditions and the terms that he has given. And that there are times, as followers of Jesus Christ, that we can get wrapped up in our own little world. And we can, we can kind of set aside the terms and conditions. But you can always come back to them. You can come back to them because they don't change. They're always the same. They're always the same. Would you stand with us? Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. It is challenging, and um, but it is instructive. It is encouraging. It is something that we can um, not live without. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for speaking so plainly to your disciples. Lord Jesus, uh, may we trust not blindly trust, but trust in what we have in front of us. Because we know the one who has died on the cross for our sins. And we can read your words. We need to trust what you have said will come to be. Lord, forgive us for the times that we have um, blindly trusted in the world's way. 
blindly trusted in the world's system. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be more focused on you than we've ever been. We ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing the song to the Lord. Big amen. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we can end this type of a service um, focused on you. Uh, that, that you are the one that's marvelous and wonderful. Help us, Lord, this week to keep our focus on you. Lord, help us uh, pinch us, <laughs> uh, prod us um, when we start to stop denying ourselves stop taking up the cross, looking for some other way of salvation, or when we stop following you and your words, Lord, that we would know that it is we are blessed when we follow after you. We ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen.